Well, amen. Today we continue our series from the Old Testament, and we have come to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah was from the tribe of Levi. His great-great-grandfather was Hezekiah, who was considered to be a good king. Davis' Dictionary of the Bible describes Hezekiah. He was a devoted servant of Jehovah. He removed the high places, cast down the images, and broke in pieces the brazen serpent which Moses had made, but which had become an object of idolatrous worship. So he was the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. Because he was a Levite, he had the responsibility or the care of the sanctuary. Eventually, Zephaniah was martyred by the Babylonian king. Jeremiah records, then the captain of the guard took Saria, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest. Then the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death. As we continue our study from the Old Testament, we look at this little letter, this little book of Zephaniah, a martyr for God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the tyrannical city. She heeded no voice, she accepted no instruction, she did not trust in the Lord, she did not draw near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. Now, as we look at this book of Zephaniah's, we probably should begin with some background information so you have a feel for the times in which he prophesied. He prophesied during the reign of Josiah. Josiah was an interesting king to me, in part because he became king when he was a child. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse number 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So the king at the time of Zephaniah was Josiah, who became king when he was eight years old, and he reigned until he was 39 years old. Josiah was a man of good character. The Bible describes him in 2 Kings 22.2, And he did right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David. Nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. So when we look at this young boy who became king, the Bible teaches us that he was a young man of character. When he was a teenager, he committed his life to God. 
Now, this is such an encouraging thing to me as I think about young people and the impact that you can have on your world. When he was a teenager, he committed his life to the Lord. Hilkiah, the high priest, found the word of the law. When he found the word of the law, then he alerted the king that he had found the law of God. And so the king then assembled the people together, and Hilkiah read the law to the people as the people and the king listened to the word. Now, as he listened to the word, his heart was touched, and he committed himself to God. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse number 3, It says, And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. As he listened to the reading of the law of God, he listened, his heart was touched, he made a covenant. To walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people entered into the covenant. So here's a teenager. He heard the law of God being read. God touched his heart, and the Bible says that he made a covenant to God that he was going to commit himself, his whole heart, his whole life, his whole being. He was committing himself to the covenant of the Lord. So he led in a great revival. He reinstated the Passover. 2 Kings 23, 21 says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. So as he was listening to the law of God being read, he realized that they were not keeping the Passover that they had been instructed to keep. And so he says, the law says that we are to keep the Passover. So he reinstated the Passover. He removed the idols, the mediums, the spiritists, the teraphim, all of it. He was young, but he was committed to God. The Bible says in 2 Kings 23:25, And before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. Now, he was the king during the time of Zephaniah. Is that not impressive? Here is a young child who became king at eight years old. When he was a teenager, he heard the Word of God and listened and God spoke to his heart. And the Bible says that as a result of that, that he led in a great revival. He made a covenant to God, led in a great revival. That was the king during the time Zephaniah prophesied. But here's the problem. Though the king was committed to God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, Zephaniah's concern was this, that the people were insincere in their commitment to God. You know what happened to the people of Israel at this time? They had learned to compartmentalize their lives. Some of you will recall when Tripp preached recently, he said, don't give God a place in your life. You see, folks, God is not interested in having a place in your life. He is interested in permeating your life. God is not interested in having a place somewhere in your life. 
He wants to be your life. Here's the temptation we've always had. We want to put God in a God box. And if I can put God in this box, then I can shake God, I can control God, and I can keep Him out of the areas where I don't want Him to be. So we want to compartmentalize our lives so we can control God and keep Him out of our life. I remember a deacon in the first church I pastored. He made the statement one time, you don't take your religion to work. We hear that all the time. You don't take your religion to work. That is putting God in a box. God, I want you over here, but don't come over here. I'm not taking you to work. So we have a spiritual box, and we we want everything spiritual in this little box. See, that was the Pharisees. They had a spiritual box. And, And they looked spiritual because of the clothes that they wore, because of the religious ceremonies they celebrated. They did all of these religious things in their little spiritual box, and they looked spiritual. Folks, we see that today with politicians. They have a little spiritual box. And so when they come before people like us, well, then they perform from that spiritual box. And and they talk about family values, and they talk about all these things that are impressive to us. But it's just in this little box over here because we want to keep God in that little box. But you and I probably do it to some extent too, don't we? No commitments here? I mean, don't we? I mean, we see today is our, is the day for our spiritual box. And so we come to church on Sunday. We dress up so people know we're going to church. I'm driving in this morning. I looked over at a person who was in a car next to mine. She didn't look like she was going to church, but I looked like I was going to church. <laughs> we got our Bibles with us. We, we have this little spiritual box so that we look spiritual. And, and, and we want to keep it in this spiritual box. We also, though, have a secular box. Now, we don't want God to come out of here over here because we also have this little secular box. And we run our businesses then without the restraints of God's Word. We have our families that do not reflect a commitment to God. And when students go to school, then they are not taking God. Keep God over here where He's safe. I don't want Him to be involved over here with my friends. And so we have these... Here's the problem. When we have God in a box, we don't want Him to get over here, so we compartmentalize our lives, and that always, always, always leads to hypocrisy. That was the Pharisees. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 27... Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You see, that was the Pharisees because they had compartmentalized their lives. They said, oh, you look so nice on the outside. I mean, you look like you're going to church. You're going to some religious ceremony. You look so nice, but inside, he said, you are corrupt. It always leads to hypocrisy. 
bin Laden presented himself as being a devout Muslim. And then we discover that he has pornography in his house. He compartmentalized his life. When we compartmentalize our lives, folks, with a little spiritual box and then a secular box, when we compartmentalize our lives, it always leads to hypocrisy. And it causes us to consider the old question, if, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? When I see Zephaniah, he preached, he prophesied during the time of a godly king. But his concern was the people were insincere. They had compartmentalized their lives. And so his message then was a message of judgment. Owen Borges wrote, When the prophets were speaking of what would happen as a result of what was taking place in Judah, the message was very specific. In other words, we are acting this way. Here is the consequence. But when they looked out into the future... The great events foretold were compressed in a brief space of time. This is called the prophetic perspective. Let me show you. In chapter 1, verse number 7, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Verse number 14 of that text. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. So God's warning then looked forward to the judgment that was going to come in the future. But folks, future judgment is always fuzzy to us. I mean, it's always a little ambiguous, a little fuzzy. It's sort of like looking at a mountain range from a distance. When one looks at a mountain range from a distance, it seems like the mountains are right up against each other. But when you actually get there, there might be miles of valleys between those mountains. That's the reason that trying to give pinpoint accuracy to the warnings of future judgment never work. It's just like the prophecy that was recently given that on May the 21st that the world was going to come to an end. And he said, I miscalculated, it's five months later and so forth. That's normally the way that it works out. But there is a future judgment that is prophesied, but there also is an immediate judgment for our actions. As individuals, we know, for instance, if we neglect our health, if we do things contrary to good health, that there is going to be an immediate result of that. We know concerning our families that they are falling apart today because we are not building on the foundation of God's Word. Not only is that true, not, this consequence for our actions, this judgment for our behavior, not only is it true with individuals, it's also true with nations. For instance, with Israel in the Scripture, they ignored the law and they were conquered by the Assyrians and exiled. America has a lot of issues that we are facing today. We have a lot of problems that we are dealing with today because we've ignored the Word of God. In this passage of Scripture, he mentions the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is mentioned 19 times in the Old Testament, four times in the New Testament. Now, what was the sin of Israel? Look at verse number 2 of our text. She heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not draw near to her God. What are the sins of this country about which Zephaniah is prophesying. The judgment of God is going to come. What was their sin? He says that she heeded no voice. 
Matthew Henry wrote, He had given his law and spoken to her by his servants, the prophets, but she obeyed not his voice. What was their sin? They had the Word of God, but they didn't obey it. Does that not sound remarkably like where we are today? I mean, as America, folks, we have the Word of God. In our country, you can't get away from it. We have churches on every corner. We have Christian radio, Christian television. We have magazines. We have, you cannot get away from the Word of God today. But what's the problem? We don't listen to it. New York this past week passed the law of same-sex marriage. We don't listen. See, we know what God's Word says. Now, I know that it's presented as being a matter of equality, but the real question is, is a matter of godliness. What does God's Word say? And that's the charge that is brought against Israel. They have the Word of God, but they did not heed the Word of God. He said they accepted no instruction. Henry said he had taken her under an excellent discipline both of the Word and of the rod. But she did not receive the instruction of the one, nor the correction of the other, did not submit to God's will, nor answer His end in either. The charge is that she accepted no instruction. Three, that she did not trust the Lord. Henry said he encouraged her to depend upon Him, and His power and promise for deliverance from evil and supply with good, but she trusted not in the Lord. I hear it said a lot today that the issue in the next election is the economy. So let's set aside for now moral issues, social issues, they're inconvenient for us. So let's set them aside for now. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the problems we have, not because of bad economy. We have bad economy because of the way we are living our lives. Our turning away from God is the problem. And we need to return to God. You can tinker all you want to with the economy. And it is not going to solve the problem we face. The problem we face is a spiritual problem. They did not trust the Lord. They looked elsewhere, but not to the Lord. Did not draw near to God. Henry said, she stood at a distance and said to the Almighty, depart. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. God bless America once again. God bless America once again. I pray for that. But my friend, we're going to have to draw near to God if God is going to draw near to us. When we distance ourselves from God and say to God, depart, then He will. God bless America once again. If we really mean that, then we better start drawing near to God. Because they were unrepentant, they would be judged. The day of the Lord would come. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And their judgment was imminent. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem was overthrown by Babylon. So we know that there are immediate judgments to our disobedience, and there is also a future judgment. You can read in Revelation chapter 20 when it talks about the great white throne when they're going to stand there before the great white throne of God. There is the prophecy of judgment, immediate and also future. But then thirdly, for those who turn to God, there is the promise of restoration. That's the good news here, and that was the message also, that if they return to God, there is the promise of restoration, that God would avenge His people. The unfairness that was done to His people did not go unnoticed. Look at verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to the prey. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. The promise of God is that He was going to avenge Israel for the wrongs of her enemies. I grow weary of the unjustness that is heaped upon the people of God today. But I guess that I am somewhat content in the knowledge and the belief that one day God is going to make all things right. Folks, we are abused today. There is great hostility towards those who believe the Bible is the Word of God today. Those who stand today on the Word of God there is considerable hostility directed towards them by our society. But one day God makes all things right. Matthew Henry wrote, Those that abuse and oppress God's people take the ready way to undo themselves. When people are unjustly persecuting and hostile towards the people of God, they are on the wrong side of the issue. It's not a matter of us being on, of God being on my side. It is a matter of us being on God's side. He says, I will avenge my people. And then he says, and he would restore his people. In fact, the unfairness done to the people of God oftentimes is the very thing that restores them to himself. And so here he promises reformation in verse number 9. For then I will give to the people's purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him shoulder to shoulder. He uses the unfairness that was against His people to reform them. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's what the Lord will do. Maybe that will be the, 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 the God bless America once again, maybe as we look and see the, the rejection of the foundation on which this nation was built, perhaps as we see the hostility that, hostility that is directed towards those who love the Lord and love His Word, maybe God will use that. Maybe God will use that to reform and to establish a remnant in verse number 20. At that time I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortune before your eyes, 
says the Lord. What did God promise to His people? What did God promise to His people who remain faithful to Him? He said, I'm going to reform you. I'm going to reform you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to work in you and I'm going to reform you. And I'm going to establish a remnant of my people. I want to be in the remnant, don't you? I want to be in that part that is loyal to God, that is loyal to His Word. Let me conclude. Some of us try to compartmentalize God. We try to compartmentalize our lives. And we want to put God in a, in a box. And we feel more comfortable with that. If I, can, if I can keep God inside the walls of this building, if I can keep God in this box that I have created, then I'm able to control Him. I'm able to shape Him. I'm able to... I'm able to keep him out of some areas where I don't want God. Then I, I have a secular box over here. I, I have my spiritual box. I'm a good, upstanding citizen. I go to church. I do those things that I'm supposed to do. And then I have this box over here where I live most of my life. And I order my family without a great deal of thought about the Word of God. I order my business without seeking God in business decisions. I go to school and participate in activities without considering if they are godly decisions. And that always leads to hypocrisy. My friend, that always leads to hypocrisy. When you try to live your life by giving God a place in your life rather than giving God your life as did Josiah, and being committed to Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It always leads to hypocrisy. We need to throw out the boxes and establish God as the foundation of our lives. That Jesus is the Savior. And that when we invited Christ to, to be our Savior, He became our Savior. He saved us. He forgave us. If you have done that, that's the promise that He makes. That if we commit our lives to Him, then He becomes our Savior. But then we need to live our lives with Him as our Lord. In verse number 14, He says, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, we live under His Lordship. And when you live under His Lordship, you live in His joy. You want joy in your life? It's when He's the Lord. It's when you let Him be the Lord of your life. Father, I pray that You would search our hearts today. Lord, have we compartmentalized our lives so that we're religious on Sunday, but don't consider you the rest of the week? Are we trying to build our businesses, our homes, our income? All the, Lord, are we trying to do those things without your Lordship? Then I pray, Father, there might be a change of heart today. As we hear the Word of God as Josiah did, Lord, may our hearts be touched. May we be changed. And may we be seriously committed to you and to your word. 
I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Just as Josiah made a commitment to God when he heard the word, now you have an opportunity to do that. If you're here without Jesus today, would you make that commitment to Him? I commit my life to Him. Would you do that? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'll join hands together. Serve the Lord. Join in standing with me, please, as we sing, as we stand, the choir sings, you come, I'll preach as you do.